the time when we celebrate Christ's resurrection. And so the sermon that I prepared for today is uh, entitled, Can These Live? It's perhaps not your typical Easter time message, but uh, I believe at its heart is the message of resurrection. As I'm sure most of you know, I love studying science. Science has answered so many of our questions in life. Science has unlocked the mysteries of the distant universe. Science has unleashed the energy of the atom. And yet, for as much as science has taught us, science has yet left so many mysteries unsolved. Perhaps the greatest is the mystery of life itself. Where did life come from? What keeps it going? Why, perhaps this is the greatest mystery, why do living things inevitably die? And if something is dead, is it possible for that life to be restored? From a purely scientific perspective, many of these questions still remain a mystery. You may have heard of a remarkable scientific discovery that took place just this week. A group of scientists were researching pigs' brains. Now, these scientists in the laboratory took the brains of pigs that had died, and they were able to restore some brain functions at least 10 hours after death. That's kind of a morbid thing to think about, I suppose, but it started a real conversation in the scientific community because uh, up until now, scientists have always assumed that very quickly after death, all of the brain function ceases irreversibly. Now, they weren't able to restore consciousness or, or, or a, lot of, a lot of brain function, but they were able to detect some, and it, it really has started this big conversation, uh, one, about the ethics of doing such studies, uh, but two, just kind of about life and death and how we understand it in relation to the brain. You know, there's a common saying that we, we use, and that is that while there is life, there is hope. Even a person who is terminally ill, as long as that person is breathing, that person can hold out the hope that they will recover and get better. Now, it may be a faint hope, but they can hold on to that hope as long as they are alive, as long as their heart is beating and the blood is circulating in their veins. When their heart stops beating, it seems that hope very quickly fades. Now, of course, we have medical technologies now. We can do CPR. We can use advanced ventilators and equipment to keep our body functioning, even if that heart isn't beating properly on its own. Albeit, the wisdom of such an approach may be questioned in some cases. There are people who pay a lot of money so that when they die, if they were to die, which is inevitable after all, when they die, their body will be very quickly cooled and cryogenically frozen so that perhaps sometime in the future, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, when medical technology will have progressed to a point, they, their body can then be thawed out. Whatever illness they had that caused them to die can be treated. They can be revived and come back to life and live again to see their great, great, great grandchildren growing up. Well, it's a 
faint hope at best. But nevertheless, people are willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars, perhaps $100,000 or more, to have their body preserved in the very faint chance that maybe, just maybe, someday they may be able to come back to life. But apart from this, apart from being cryogenically frozen, it doesn't take long after death before, scientifically speaking, all hope is gone. Once the body starts to decompose, even the most brilliant scientists will most likely give up all attempts to restore life. And so with that thought in your minds, I want you to turn with me to one of my favorite passages in the scripture. It's found in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. And so it was that this ancient prophet Ezekiel was taken off in vision to this great valley. Now, what do we know about valleys in ancient Israel? A valley would be the place where great battles would be fought. And you might imagine that in vision, God would show to Ezekiel some great battle. Perhaps he would show him a great beast coming out of the sea, like Daniel or John the Revelator saw. But no, no beasts, no great armies, not even a sound, except the eerie rush of the wind. The sound of silence broken only by the voice of God speaking to him. But there in the valley, spread out before him, was evidence that once, many, many years before, there had been a great army. I say there had been. The army never left. They were still there. That is what was left of them. No, they had not. It, it appeared that they had been utterly defeated. So much so that even none was left to bury the corpses. But no, they were not corpses. The corpses had lain on the ground until long since the processes of nature had taken their course. And nothing was left but skeletons. And those skeletons had lain there year after year until the bones had become scattered, bleached in the sun, and dried. Of this army, there was nothing left. And there was no hope. There was no hope for these dry bones, humanly speaking, Read that there in Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out of the valley, out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And notice the question here in verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And that is where I've taken the title of today's message. Can these live? Son of man, can these bones live? Now the question on its face is preposterous. Really. 
If anyone had else, else had asked the question, any sane person would have laughed. No way! You can't revive a corpse, much less revive a bone! But who was asking the question? It was not an ordinary person who was asking Ezekiel this question in the vision. It was none other than the creator God of heaven. The same God who in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That's where God created the man out of dirt. Any of you know where the woman came from? Genesis 2 and verses 21 and 22. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. Now, what is a rib? A bone. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. You see, God had done it before. He'd taken a bone and made a living human being out of that bone. It was this same God who was now asking Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? But even now, though Ezekiel knows this story, even now Ezekiel dares not to answer. He says only, O Lord God, you know. Lord, I won't even dare to believe that these bones could live. But I know you can do all things. You know. In verse 4 of Ezekiel 37, again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now I have to wonder, how do bones hear? There are no ears. The ears have long since rotted away. There are no minds to listen to those words. There are no hands and feet to respond. There are only dry bones. But God says, speak to them anyway. I know they can't listen. I know they can't hear. But speak to them anyway because I can hear you. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and breathe on you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now I have to mention something here. This is not a sermon about dry bones. In fact, this isn't a sermon about Ezekiel or anyone else. It is pure and simple, a message about the word of God and the power of that word. No, there was nothing magical in those bones that allowed them to come together. But there's power in the word of God to raise the dead to life. And my friends, there's power in God's word today to raise those who are spiritually dead back to spiritual life. You know, every so often, I, I'm driving down the road and I see coming in the opposite lane a sheriff with the lights on. Not coming fast, but coming slowly. And behind the sheriff's car is a big black hearse. 
And behind that hearse comes a long train of cars with the lights on. And as I pull over and wait for that funeral train to go by, my heart breaks because I know that in that hearse lies someone's mother or father, someone's son or daughter, uncle, cousin, friend. And I pause for a moment and then go on with life. You know, Jesus was walking on the earth and came across a funeral train. Coming out of the village, he sees the mourners come by. He sees them burying the coffin. And then he sees the mother. The mother whose only son had died. And he does what I've never thought to do. Because I never could do. But he could. He interrupts the funeral. He goes over and he touches that coffin. He touches that corpse, but it's no longer a corpse when he touches it. That man, that young man, springs to life, embraces his mother, and that funeral that was just getting started never happened. At least not that day. Because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He said those words just before he emptied Lazarus' tomb. But only a few days later, Jesus, the one who had himself raised the dead, hung on a cross. The body of one who had triumphed over the grave was lain lifeless in Joseph's new tomb. And like Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, the hopes of his followers were dried up and gone. Their master was slain. The one who had vanquished the grave had himself been buried in the tomb. Not only that, but the tomb was guarded by a Roman guard. It was not just the hopes of the disciples that were dashed. But the Messiah of God, the one who was to redeem Israel, had been condemned and crucified by the malice and envy of the priests and rabbis. The one chance for our world, the one hope for our redemption, we put to death. It would have seemed as though the hope of the world was crushed. Had the disciples been asked the question of Jesus' body that Friday night, can these live? Can this body live again? I imagine their answer would have been much less hopeful than even that of Ezekiel. Jesus was dead. And so it was that dreadful Sabbath day that Jesus' body lay resting in Joseph's tomb. That is, until Sunday morning. Early on that morning, that first day of the week, and on that morning, the whole story changed. The tomb 
could hold him for a day, but not for eternity. Jesus, the King of glory, the one who is himself, the resurrection and the life, took up his life again. He said, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And he of his own accord raised from the dead on that resurrection morning. He declared to John in Revelation 1.18, I am the one who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Listen to this. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus Christ, my friends, Jesus Christ resurrection is the center of our hope as Christians. On this fact, we stake our very lives, our very existence, on this wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the tomb. But what does that mean for us? Practically, 2,000 years later, what does it mean that Jesus has been risen from the tomb? Paul takes this thought in in 1 Corinthians, and if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, and he shows how the centrality of Christ's resurrection on this one pillar hangs all of Christianity. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, uh, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he shows, in verse, starting in verse 12, how if Christ has not raised from the dead, all of our Christian doctrine unravels by a thread. In verse 12, Now if Christ has preached to you that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then we also who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Our lives are hopeless without Christ's resurrection. My friends, we don't have to be in this hopeless state. We are not following a figment of someone's imagination. Verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the center of our hope and his resurrection. My friends, without the resurrection, we would be no different as Christians than Buddhists or Muslims or most any other religions. And I'm not saying this to be offensive to other religions, by the way. But these religions simply revere a dead prophet. We would be no different to revere a great leader who died a martyr's death on a cross 2,000 years ago. But because of his resurrection, because he lives, we can live too. John chapter 14 and verse 19, that's the verse Natalia just read. Because he lives, 
we can live too. But beyond that, my question is, what does Jesus' resurrection mean to you personally? Not just about our religious experience, not just about our Christian experience and the, and the foundation of our faith as if that wasn't enough because that is, that is the center of why we are here. But can you and I experience this same power in our lives individually? What about in our families? What about in our church? Can we have this power of the resurrection With this question in mind, let's go back to Ezekiel 37. To Ezekiel's vision of dry bones. Ezekiel was taken to this great valley where not one, but it would seem a great army had been slain. Now this hadn't happened recently. This had happened many, many, many years ago. And over the years, the forces of nature have taken their toll on this vast army till all that remains is the Valley of Bones. And I want you to think about your life today. Do you feel perhaps your life is worthless? Perhaps you've had an experience with God, but that was years ago. And now your spiritual life has been autopilot. Perhaps it's languished. Perhaps it seems that spiritually the breath has been extinguished. And in its place, all that is left of that spirituality that you once felt are bones. Bones without life. Perhaps you can look at your family or us as our church family and remember what it once was. But as we look at things now, it would seem that only the bones remain. The programs that used to excite us now is just a routine. We look around us. We look at the empty pews. We can remember those who sat in them. Some of them have fallen asleep in Jesus. Some have gotten to the point they can no longer be with us, and we can understand that. But far too many, we know where they are, but they're just not here. We sit through the Sabbath school, we listen to the sermon. And that was a good Sabbath school, by the way, Mike. I really enjoyed that. But sometimes we wonder. Sometimes we just do the same thing week after week after week. And we ask, where is the life? So Ezekiel stands in this valley, wondering at these dry bones. When God commands Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy to these bones. Ezekiel 37, verse 7, So I prophesied as I commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Picture this. The whole valley starts shaking. Ezekiel isn't standing on the side. Remember, where is he standing? He's standing in the middle. And all of a sudden, the bones start moving and shaking and flying together. And I can imagine he's getting a little scared because this bone's flying past him this way. And this bone's flying past him this way. And he's, he's got to watch out. Jump over this one. Because when the bones are out of place, they're going to get together. They're going to get in the right place because God's working and you better watch out. My friends... When God starts working, 
things start moving. I almost hear people say, don't touch that bone. My great-grandmother put it there. That's the, great, that's the ankle bone of my great-uncle George, and you can't move it. But it starts moving, and things start happening. And then things start really getting messy because all these bones that are dry and have had nothing on them, all of a sudden, verse 8, Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. They started getting flesh. They started getting body parts. They started getting skin over them. And now it starts looking really, really grisly because they're all dead bodies. But what a miracle. Instead of bones, now there's bodies. But they're dead bodies. You know, sometimes in our church, we get excited when we get programs going and we get people coming to church and we think that we have life in our church. And compared to dry bones, those things are wonderful. But God isn't finished yet. And you know, just having things happening in the church doesn't mean it's alive. And in our own lives, just because we read God's word, just because we spend time in prayer doesn't make us Christians. Those are like bodies. In order to be alive, you have to have a body. But just because you've got a body doesn't mean you're alive. God hasn't answered the question yet. What was the question? Who was listening? What was the question? Can these bones live? He didn't say, can these bones grow bodies? That's one step in the right direction. Can these bones live? God says, don't get excited about all these bodies. I'm not done yet. You see, there was no breath in them. In verse 9, he says to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. My friends, the vision of Ezekiel is nothing short of the creative power of God. Remember when God formed Adam? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So it is in our own lives, in our families, in our church. My friends, we need to experience the resurrection power of God. The power of his Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to fill our church programs, so that it's not just us trying to do things, but it's God doing it through us. It's the life of God. We don't need a better pastor. Well, you guys probably do, but you don't need better programs stronger, more dedicated members. That's all good. That's all wonderful. I want more strong, dedicated members, but it's only the power of God that can make the dry bones live. Verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army, a mighty army from a valley, of dry bones. And the Lord goes on to give the interpretation to Ezekiel of how this, this valley of bones represented the house of Israel. Now, who is the house of Israel today? Is it not God's church? Us together? And how God promised to restore life to his house, to the house of Israel, to bring them back to himself. My friends, this is nothing short of the resurrection power of God. I believe that Jesus' words in John 14, 19 make the truth of Christ's resurrection practical 
to every one of us. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Because I live, Jesus says, you will live. You will gain purpose and meaning in your life. So my friends, as we contemplate Christ's resurrection this season, I ask you to look at your own spiritual life. Maybe in your life you see nothing but dry bones. I ask you this question. Can these bones live? Look at your family. How many of us have a close family member who's lost their way spiritually? They're wandering in a desert. Spiritually, dry bones. It seems that there's no hope, but... We cannot judge, my friends. But my friends, can God give life to these dry bones? And yes, my friend, we look, we look at our church and we have to say, yes, in so many ways, it seems that it's just dry bones. It's so easy to criticize, to point the fingers. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just asking the question. Can these bones live a mighty army? Can we pray today that we may experience the resurrection of power of Jesus in our lives, in our families, and in our church? Our kind and loving Father in heaven. Yes, because Jesus lives, we can live too. Help us, Lord, to experience that resurrection power in our life, in our lives today, individually, in our families. And yes, Lord, here in our church in Stearns, because you live, we have a reason to live. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.